Welcome to the Epic Narrative, and now my dad, Bob Switzer. Here's Bob. Well, good morning again. I know. I know. I don't know when you're listening to this, but for me, it's morning, and I just think it's great. I like mornings. Mornings is I, it's it's just me. It's just me. I know. I mean, I've done the, the psychological studies. I know why. I know why I'm a morning person, and it goes back to my father. I know. It's just the way it is. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. On with the story. The uh, the the. The beauty and the fun about doing an epic like this, and I'm sure as as uh, you are, are listening, if you've listened from the beginning, you're like, you're like 18 episodes in and you're thinking, okay, like this is a really long story, Bob. Like we've, I, like a lot of you probably are listening and you're thinking, I know the story of David. What is taking so long to get to the good stuff? What about the part? Where's the sex? <laughs> It's coming. Don't worry. I purposely spend time doing the uh, d- doing some of those. Well, like like uh, last week or yesterday, when it, whatever you're listening to it, the last episode, you know, where he saves a city, but but there's just there's just a lot of time where he's just in the wilderness. There's day after day of the mundane survival uh, provision. Connection to to God, building relationships with men, and these sort of things. These sort of things build him up. They 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 give strength to David as he moves forward with with this crazy journey slash plan of God. And as you know, I don't think that God's plan here was like an irrevocable, unchanging, predetermined. Uh, pathway that that there was no way for David to really ever choose not to do it. I believe that God's awareness and prob- of probabilities of choices allowed you know allows God's sovereignty to oversee any possible choice that David could have made along the way. And in those choices, God's goodness would have still been there. God's God's desire would have still been there. And and if David had made you know, radical choices and got himself killed. I don't think, I don't think the plan of God would have just exploded and God would have been like, oh, great. My whole plan screwed up. The Messiah will never come. Everybody's going to go to hell. I I just, the, God's too big for that. He's too big for that. He's too good for that. He's too loving for that. So when I, when I tell these stories about the mundane and everyday life and and you know months and years in caves and in crevices and wildernesses it's be- it's because that's what it was like this is an epic story and it's put here for a reason it's put here for us to know that there are everyday situations that we're in there there are opportunities to build relationship and and it's the small choices of every day that make the the big choices easier because there's a rhythm that you create. I I remember often being encouraged as a child like to 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 build integrity in my life. What did that mean? It meant make the same choices you would make 
alone when nobody's watching as you would if everybody's watching. Now, I know that some of that uh, motivation is, is behavioral based, right? It's, it's the motive wasn't necessarily love. It wasn't hope. Uh, it was, it was, it was more, um, you know, what, what the big word would be the fear of man, right? What if everybody's watching you? Would you still do that? Would you still say that? And I know that in today's world, that's not as, as much as it's a big deal. It's not as much because social media has so watered down people's behavior and opinion. And, and, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's not as much intensity, because people can can say, well, that was just my, you know, that's what I was doing that day, or that's that's just who I was, you know, in college. That's just who I was in high school. That's just who I was. Uh, you know, I'm not that person now. And yet, and yet, we we know based on on life experience that there are choices that you make every day that really do impact who you are. And David made those choices every day, and it impacts him. It impacts him on a day like today. On this particular episode, because this is one of those, this is one of those big moments. This is this is one of those stories that you probably have heard. Maybe not if you're not if you haven't been to church a lot, you might not have heard this story. But if you've been to church like I have, this story about David in the cave with Saul, uh, that that comes out. It, it comes out usually at camp is where the story would be told because on a Sunday morning, it's a little hard to set up, but Generally, this would come out of camps and retreats because this is this is a fun story. It's kind of exciting, uh, and we're gonna you know we're gonna roll in it. So, so this is chapter twenty-four, First Samuel. Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. He he won. Okay, when Saul left uh, the, the after the last episode, right? Saul gets word. He doesn't really know how close he is to David. He knows he knows he's close enough that he doesn't want to give up, but he doesn't know he's literally probably within a hundred yards of David. They're just on the other side of the ridge, and and he gets called away because the Philistines are are raiding. They're they're attacking. They're invading the the country, and he takes off. And he probably picked up more troops. He probably picked up, I don't know, several thousand more, maybe 10,000 total. They go into battle. He gets done with battle, all right? A done with battle. Now, this again, this is a, one of those time phrases. This probably is months later. Months. Saul comes off the victory. He's He's probably feeling pretty good. Probably sensing God's goodness in his life. He's like, this is good. This is, I'm good. This is good. I won. A great victory. The the country should be happy with me, right? Those women should be changing the words of that song because David doesn't fight for us anymore. Like I'm the I'm the I'm the man. Things are good. And he finds out that he, that there's been a David sighting. David is in the desert of Engadi. Now now that's a that's an area like down by um uh, down by the Dead Sea, and it's it again is deep ravines. Tons of caves. Uh, there's lots of what what uh, the Bible also calls strongholds. Just easy places to defend, easy places to hide. And David and his men are ha- hanging out there. So I'm I'm guessing I'm guessing that Saul would interpret this uh, the victory over the Philistines and the fact that he gets back from victory and somebody's able to say, hey, 
David's down by the Dead Sea. He's like we've we've confirmed it. Like he's down there. He probably interprets this as God. God's favor. God's blessing on him to go kill David. Rather than different perspective, but but rather than an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to change his mind, to say, all right, God clearly is on my side. He's given me victory over the Philistines, and he's letting me know where David is so that I can reconcile something that I've done wrong, so I can I can correct what what was an error, so I can restore a relationship that's been broken. Because that's the pattern of God. That's the pattern of the kingdom, restoration and love. So, so Saul, Saul, it says that Saul um, took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men in the crags of the wild goats. <laughs> That's such a great phrase, the crags of the wild goats. If that doesn't give you a good visual picture of where David was hiding out and hanging out and living at this time, I don't know what else would. The crags of the wild goats. Awesome. Now, he takes 3,000 men from all over Israel, which which means that he takes them all from the northern tribes that probably were the ones that, that compiled his, you know, his victory uh, team. And and he he might have even just asked for volunteers and just said, I'm going to go out on my own, you know, on, on this mission. We're on a mission. I need 3,000 people to step forward. And they probably did because they just come off of, like, they're excited. They're, they're fully armed. They have all this plunder. They have victory. They've had the parade. They've done a little, they've done, you know, they've visited a few of the cities. Uh, their families are proud of them. Everybody's excited. Like this speaks to the popularity and to the love that, that people had for Saul. Saul was not hated by the nation. And I know sometimes it's easy to uh, present him like that because David's, David's beloved. And it's true, David is. And David's victories were great. And David's uh, leadership is so different than Saul. But that doesn't mean that everybody hates Saul. It just means that he's different than David. And it's Saul's interpretation of people's love for David that made that made David the enemy, right? He He's the victim. Saul's, Saul's a victim. When you find somebody who's a victim... They, they, oh man, the struggle that they have to see anything in life as something that happens for them. They're always, they, they just not, okay, always such as a judgmental word. Um, oh, they, they often, they, they, they have great difficulty viewing something that is, ha- anything that's happening for them. They view everything as happening to them. You just did that again, Bob. You said everything. And so they never, I know never everything. I got to be careful of those words. I do because it, it is judgmental. It, it paints, it paints a, you know, a very harsh line. I've, I've worked with some that it, that it seemed as though every, everything happened to them and to give them a different perspective doesn't, doesn't help to walk in and say, well, you know, well, you could learn this. Well, maybe you could do this. Here's a creative solution maybe for this problem. If you want to, you could move forward. If you want to, you could attempt this. If you want to, you might be able to do this or find this or go here. And victims will just say no, like you you don't understand. 
You don't understand how bad this is. You don't understand my issue. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand how offended I am. They usually don't use the word offended. They just, you know, I how much it it hurts. I get hurt so bad. Like emotionally, I just I don't feel safe. I don't feel uh, connected anymore. I, I just I, I just I need to find another place. I need to go somewhere. I need to quit. I need to. I need to find another church. I need to find another job. I need to find another spouse. I need to find another friend. I need to find another car. I need it like it just doesn't matter. It just literally doesn't matter to a victim. And it's not that they're they're evil people. It's just their perspective is so negative. It it's bizarre. And then when something good does happen for them, they take that as as God's uh, blanket of approval. That the way they saw things was right. So Saul gets uh, Saul gets these three thousand men right. He's on a personal mission because he's personally been offended by David, and he came to the sheep pens along the way. The sheep pens would have been uh, car- not necessarily carved into the rocks, but they would have been uh, dibbits along the along the um, cliffs where uh, it's easy to to pin, to pen, to pen the sheep. Like basically they just need to build about, you know, one wall or, or like a, a small horseshoe or just cover a, a small opening because the rocks kind of form the rest of the pen. So these, these sheep, these goat pens are all over the place. And, and so he comes to that area where the crags of the wild goats, where they, where they hang out and, and Saul went into a cave there, and it says he went in to relieve himself. Now, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I have preached this without research before, and that's just that's my bad, right? I see the word relieve, and I'd heard somebody else say that he went in there to poop, and and I thought that was hilarious, and and I've I've preached this passage with him pooping in the cave now. <laughs> it's uh it's just fun to say the word poop on the radio. It's just fun. Anyway. Um <laughs> uh, and the reason why I'd I'd preach this is usually because I'm speaking to junior high and high school students and it's just fun to say poop from the microphone. So anyways, here he goes. He goes into the cave to relieve himself. That word in the Hebrew generally means to take a nap only one time does it does it mean poop only one time it means to cover or to um to like to the covering like a with a blanket so it's it's probably more along the lines of he was tired it was hot out and he everybody took a break and Saul was probably because he was king and they're in these crags. Maybe some of his security guys were like, Hey, you know what? Uh, Saul, why don't you, um, you know, let's, let's get you out of the sun. Let's get you some shade. Everybody else can sit out here and, and get some drinks. But, but you, you know, why don't, why don't we get you a little bit, a little nicer place and we can protect you in case who knows? Like they know they're hunting David. They know that David has 600 men. They don't know how close they are to him. They probably know they're fairly close to them. Just because of the evidence in the in the nature and you know periodic um, 
information, general information that they're picking up from the shepherds uh, of the goats and and the tradesmen and all that kind of thing that that would have been available to them. Not that there were tens of thousands of these people all all over the place, but there was enough that they knew that they were really close to David. So may, I I think I think that this was partially security and partially for comfort for Saul. And they said, let's let's go in now. I, why is Saul with all the men? Because Saul is personally offended. And he wants this to end. I also think he's with the men because he's trying to mimic what David does. David fights alongside his men. And I think Saul wants to be seen as David. Many times the people that we don't like are people that we wish we were also like. Now, I've, I've never been to the extreme of, of Saul at this point where I wanted to wipe out somebody. But there were, you know, there have been people in my past that I I admired because of their style I admired because of their delivery and then they became really popular and I think wait like we went to like we were peers we we or we went to school together or or you know like we were pretty much at the same level at one point and now somehow you're popular somehow you're at the conferences you're you know you wrote a book you Whatever and and internally it becomes an opportunity for me to start asking my questions. You know, like what's what when you know when you see this person, Bob, what do you think? When you think about this person, what do you feel? Oh, you got all this, you know, negativity. You got you got jealousy. You've got envy. Well, where's that coming from? You know, does that match up with heaven? Does that match up with the kingdom? Oh, it doesn't match up. Okay, so. So what do we need to do in order to change the way we feel about this person? Well, we need to change the way we think about this person. And so how can we do that? Well, we do that by refiltering who this person is the, the way, from our perspective, we, we refilter it, we repent our perspective, and we bring it up to a higher perspective, which allows us to see this person the way God sees them, which then allows us to bless the person and, and, and call forth God's favor on the person so that they can even become more popular in the world it's it's a it's a good pattern to be in and but i just know periodically i do bump into it and i think saul at times when he saw certain aspects of david he tried to mimic it because he he wanted to be like like david and i think if if he had the opportunity and asked himself the deep questions and did the work necessary he would say actually you know david's better a better version of me than i am like this is he's he's the man and I want to be just like him, but I, you know, I struggled. But I, I, I'm sorry. I just went into what a mini psychology course. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate that. On with the story. So he goes back in the cave. What he doesn't know is that David and his men are hiding in that cave. That's how close he was to David. That's how close he was to capturing David. Now, these caves are deep and, and wide, and they're connected all over the place, and they, they go on forever. So it's not like they were barely back there and, you know, and Saul was coming up. But I have no doubt that they, they were in there. They knew Saul was in the area. They knew he was coming down that particular ravine. And they, they ran back into the cave, and they said, let's just wait here. So they're waiting there, but then they hear the troops stop. Now, I don't, I, I'm guessing you, if you've been in a cave, you know that there's a huge amount of, of sound echoings and, and your ability to hear what's going on outside is muffled because it, if it doesn't come in the, the cave entrance way, 
correctly, then you, you don't hear it clearly. But when it does come in correctly, you hear it very clearly. And so here's here's Saul riding outside, and they probably hear all that, and then it stops, and they don't know what happened because it didn't fade out. It just stopped. And then maybe they hear some clanking, and they the men know. I mean, they're they're warriors, and they've they've been in the, at this for a while, and they're starting to realize that these guys are are now, you know, dismounting. They're 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 setting something up outside, and they probably think they've been caught. I mean, I would think that. I would start to think, oh my gosh, they know we're in here. Like, how do you defend yourself when you're in a cave? And there's 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 uh, an intuitive nature within warriors to to defend to find the best way to defend and then the best way to attack. And so they're in the cave, and I'm sure it's dark, but internally they're they're mapping out where they're going to be. They're they're figuring out how they're going to set up like a kill zone, so that if the men come down the cave line, they they can kill them you know quickly and 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 I don't know, I don't know, win, send them running. And there's probably other people that have gone down the back of the cave to see how far back it goes to see if it's connected somewhere else, see if there's another way out. But they have to do it quietly because they don't want to they don't want anyone to know that they're in there. They're assuming that these guys are going to start searching the caves, which would make sense because clearly Saul knows they're in the area. So these guys are probably pretty tense right now. Their adrenaline is 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 been pumped into their system. Their heart rate is up. Their their uh their eyes are wide. They're staring into the into the light at the end of the tunnel. Not that they're in the light because if you've ever been in a, in a cave, you know that's not that you see the light, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's it's everything's lit up. So they're looking and they see a couple armed people they see some guards or some shadows they know that there's several people now out front and then there's one that kind of makes like one shadow kind of up against the wall that clearly he's coming in by himself and they probably heard some talking that that went on because because i'm sure saul probably said to the guys hey i'm fine everything's good and the men probably said, yes, your majesty. Okay, king. And then David and his men hear that, and they know who's in the cave. And they they sit there in the, in the back of the cave. Now, this is where, you know, I would get uh, goofy with the description of, you know, Saul pooping in the cave and the way that the the sounds echo and, and the you know, he's he's got problems he's pushing grunting uh all that kind of stuff maybe all that happened i don't know it, it could have happened it's fun to think about it'll make it makes me kind of you know chuckle a little bit <laughs> so he 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 could have went to the bathroom he could have he could have relieved himself and then laid down for a nap now, this is not unusual, and even today in the culture of, of the Middle East. It's not unusual for people in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, to find a place to just sit. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the shade, but you'd sit in such a, such a manner that your face, your face is shaded, and you would just sit and just stay calm and keep yourself from overheating. And that's what all the men are doing, but Saul's in a cave where it's shady, maybe a little cooler, 
and he sets himself up to take a little nap. He covers himself. Now David and his men are in the back of the cave, and the men are talking to David. Now this this takes some some guts. They, you can't talk loud when you're in a cave, but you can whisper. And I I I mean I don't think it was just one person. These are some of the some of these six hundred men are the what will be called the thirty mighty men of David. These are men of of not just great valor, but they're intense friends of David. These are men that literally have, have you know, taken, pr- made promises to give their life for David, to do whatever they were told by David. These guys are, are committed. And now they're leaning in on David and they're going, David, this is the time. David, the Lord has given Saul into your hands. Remember, I, I love this. I love this. Like they were remembering, um, they were remembering things that David had probably told them had been said about him, prophetic words, uh, words of encouragement from Samuel and from uh, other other priests from the Lord. But he said, the men said, remember the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, this is interesting. So God tells David he could, basically he had the freedom to choose. This is God. This is what love does. Now, God would, I don't think God would ever choose to kill somebody. I just don't. But he does give his, those, he does give his children the opportunity to make that choice. And whether or not it's, it's, you know, you agree with me or not, that's fine. But I do think the choice of death is a choice that is on the table. It's not something you can't give freedom and then and then say, well, you're only free to make the right choice. If you make the wrong choice, I'm going to take your choice back or I'm going to change things or I'm going to keep you from doing the wrong thing. That's not freedom. That's control. That's what religion tries to do. That's what and, and it shows up with with pastors or elders or teachers or some form of authority that says, as long as you behave correctly, as long as you make the right choices, we will bless you, we will encourage you, we will exalt you, we will give you the microphone, we'll put you up front. But if you start making bad choices, we're going to take all that away because you're not allowed to make bad choices and still you know, be in leadership and still have a role in which you are impacting the lives of others because we only want to impact people in the positive way. We only want people to see us in the positive light. We don't want negative activity going on in our in our world. So God says to David, listen, I, I'll, you know, the, your enemies are going to be available. You can do with them as you want. You have the freedom <clears throat> to choose. So David, David, you know, takes the advice of the men. This is what's awesome, right? David takes the advice of the men. He's thinking they're right. That God did say that. God said that, and 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 this is a fabulous opportunity. Like I could literally kill Saul in his sleep, and the like. He probably doesn't. Th- he probably figures all the men would just go home. It, it, like he would be unopposed. Now he might have a little bit of a fight, but he's got six hundred men on his side, so 
this this could really work in their favor. And they're actually in a pretty good def, uh, offensive position. If they come out of the cave, they could draw people into the cave. Like this could this could be this could be a really good deal. And he and he's thinking this as he's creeping up alongside Saul as Saul sleeps. This had to be this had to be like so intense because you you kick a rock, you slip, you you know clank your sword against a rock. There's a good chance the guards at the opening are going to hear it and come back at, you know come back to in to see how quotes you know they don't know you're back there but they're going to say hey Saul you okay, your Majesty do you need any help? So so David has to be so quiet. He is creeping up in the darkness toward the light. And then he sees Saul. He can see his, the figure of him laying there on the ground. Maybe he's, maybe, I, like, I, I wonder about this robe. He, he uh, it's the royal robe. <clears throat> so he took it off. <clears throat> he took it off to, um, to, you know, probably, he took it off to nap. I, I don't know. If he, I don't think he covered himself in it because he probably didn't need a covering. It's not that cold. But I wonder if he uh, laid it off to the side. Possibly he made it into a pillow. I don't know if he would as as a, as royalty, but maybe he did. Either way, I don't. It's not. It's it's somewhere, and it's it's uh, it's. I don't think he's wearing it, I guess is what I want to say. He had laid it aside in some manner. And David creeps up on Saul and he sees him there. And and I'm sure those words that the, that his men reminded him of, the enemy, you know, I will give the enemy your enemies into your hand and you can do with them as you like. Saul uh David David has this moment, this moment to choose. And this is where I go back into that everyday life that David had. This, the, he chose day after day to to be loving. He chose day after day to be kind. He chose day after day to bring hope. He chose day after day to be committed to God's plan for him to become king. Because I have little doubt that he was often reminded that there were plenty of opportunities for him to take on Saul, for him to when when he conquered that or you know, conquered the Philistines and was living in that fortified city, that could have been an opportunity, uh, a huge opportunity for David to start bringing in other people that were loyal to him, developing friendships and connections to cause a civil war to begin. Not necessarily huge battles against his countrymen, but he could have started to divide the nation. There were plenty of times that David could have responded differently, right? Way back when when Saul threw spear a spear at him, he could have he could have defended himself and attacked back, but he didn't. So David's been trusting the pattern, the 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 pattern. That's not the word you want, Bob. He's been trusting God to to figure out a way to get him in the throne. He does not, he's he's made a thousand choices not to pursue his own path to the throne. Now, was it would it have been evil or sinful if he had? No, the story would have been different. But that's the freedom and love of God, right? He, he could have chosen anything he wanted, but he didn't. 
He chose to follow uh, God on this. He chose to let God be the shepherd, which is something he would have intuitively been so connected to. Like, I'm going to let you guide this this path. I'm going to let you make the path. So he's made thousands of these choices in his in his life at this point. He's standing there, crawling up there on his knees next to, I don't know, he's close to Saul. He can see Saul sleeping there. He hears the voice of the Lord saying, I will give the enemies into your hands to deal with as you wish. And David says, I don't want to kill him. It's not your way. I just love this. I love that he had the freedom to kill Saul. And his, and his connection to God was so, was so real. David so much wanted to be like God and to pattern him on this earth. That he said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. It's, it's, that's not your heart. That's not the way that you make the plans move forward. So I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know if this was goofy. I don't know if, if he was thinking, I, I, I can't come, I can't have come all this way for nothing. Like I, I've got to do something. So he reaches, he reaches out and he cuts a corner of the robe off, the royal robe. The thing that, you know, the, the resemble, the, the, the thing. That's awesome, Bob. The, the representation of royalty, the public acknowledgement that a king would wear that says, I'm the king. I have the authority to make the, the final, the final decisions. And he cuts a corner off. And, and David sneaks all the way back to his men. And he's standing there or sitting there or crouched down next to a rock in, in kind of the shadows. And his men, maybe they have a, a, a small torch. I don't know. But they, they're, they're sitting next to him. They're like, did you kill him? Like they're ready to go into battle. Like you just killed the king. Now we're going to go out after all the men. And David's like, no, 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 no. No, no, look, I cut off a piece of his robe. And they're like, what? But he said, I actually feel really bad about this. Why would I do that? And it says, he uses the word master, the Lord's anointed, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He's like, why would I do this to somebody who oversees the country that I love and I live in? Why would I do this to somebody who God has put in authority? Like he recognized God's the one who chose this man. I've seen his heart. I know his love. I know when he's connected to heaven, it is, it, he's a different person. Why would, I, why would I take the opportunity for this person to, you know, for Saul to get right with God away from him? Why would I embarrass him? Why would I humiliate him by cutting off a piece of his robe and, and, and it's in some physical sense, assault the office of the king, assault the symbol of authority that God has put in him. Why would I do that? That's, that's not me. That's not what I want to do. And, and the men were like ready to go. Like they were, they were ready to go. But David, it says, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to be done. 
They wanted to get out of the caves. They wanted to go back to their families. They they saw an opportunity to to end this whole crazy world that they were that they you know were living in and surviving in. And and they were they were angry at Saul for doing this to them. They were angry at Saul for for what had moved them into being a refugee to begin with. The whole reason for being with David probably came because of decisions that Saul had made, maybe not personal ones against them, but governmental decisions that had ruined their business or ruined their life or ruined their town. And and now they were refugees, and now they finally have have worked their way with David to a position where they have the the you know the means by which they can make things right. And David wouldn't let him go. And Saul woke up. And everybody got quiet again. And Saul grabs his robe. He throws it on. He walks out of the cave. Everybody, uh, you know, rouses themselves off the off the, the what is it? The crags of the wild goats. They get themselves going. And they and they start to to move along the crag. And so when he was a good distance away. David goes back outside of the cave. Now, all of his men are inside the cave. They're probably not like deep inside the cave. They're with David, but David steps out. He makes himself known. Yeah, I just, I just pictured one of those, you know, movie moments where he, he takes that deep breath. The, the desert breeze is blowing. Uh, he's, you know, he looks amazing, but he also, his eyes look, disturbed like he's sad he's he's sad and and slightly embarrassed by his behavior because of the choice he made and he's literally going to apologize to the king for doing what he did and king has no idea he has no idea what he's done nobody's noticed that the corner's missing nobody pointed it out okay maybe one guy noticed because there's always one guy who who notices all these kind of details but he didn't mention it so David goes out of the cave and he, he calls out to Saul. He's like, hey, my lord, the king. And Saul stops. I don't know if he was in the lead. I don't know if he was in the middle. But he calls out to the king. Now, what was that strange? No. No, no, no. When the king would be riding around, people would call out to the king. They'd say, your majesty. They'd, they'd give him honor. Some would bow down. Some would... You know, maybe they didn't pay attention to him because they didn't like him. But it wasn't like everybody, like I said, it's that they didn't all hate Saul. So, so yeah, it would have it would have been strange because Saul would have thought, "Wow, we were like, where where's that coming from? Like we were like I just woke up." So maybe he's expecting a shepherd, maybe he's expecting a merchant, but somebody yells out, "Hey, my lord and king!" And when Saul looks behind him, this person is bowing down, his face is on the ground. And then the person starts to speak to him. Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Now, this goes back to what what we've talked about before. If you're going to be, if you're going to have a, a conflict, if you, I mean, confrontation, you want to you want to do it with honor. You want to ask questions so you can gain understanding. You want to ask questions so that so that you can listen, not ask questions so that you can talk. 
not wait for someone to finish talking so that you can make your point. David's asking questions so that so that there can be understanding, so that so that there can be a relationship restored. He might not know what that relationship would look like, but he wants it to be restored to a better point than where it is currently. He says, why do you listen to men who say that David is out to harm you? And I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's looking at Saul like, like, yeah, like actually, that's a good question. Like, why are we, why are, are we? And, and as a, as Saul being a victim, basically having a, or a victim, having a victim mentality, a victim filter, he's going to look at this and hear that question and he's going to answer it by saying, cause, she, cause David offended me and I'm the king. David did things that hurt my feelings. He, he caused my daughter to fall in love with him. My own daughter, you know, uh, hid him and helped him escape. <clears throat> my own son, he's turned my family against me. He turned the nation against me. He's turned, he turned the army against me. He went to my enemies to try and seek shelter. Oh, I mean, honestly, these are just the things I can think of coming, you know, quickly off my, off my head. Saul had a list. People who are, who are constantly offended, who live in a culture of fear, who, who are, are, do not know who they are, don't know their own identity. They'll have a list of offenses to justify their behavior. Saul did not answer this question with, with, well, uh, I don't know. Why do I listen to people who tell me David's out to harm me? Well, I'm just an idiot, I guess. I hadn't even thought of that question before. Nope. Saul had answers to this question. And to him, it justified everything. I listen to them because they're right. So David then presents a circumstance. He's, he says, listen, this day, I've seen you with my own eyes. Now, now's about the time that Saul's thinking, Wait, what do you mean? The Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the uh, hand on my Lord, on my king, because you are God's anointed. You're the Lord's anointed. God's given you the authority and the, and the anointing to run this, this country. We are all your servants. We all are your subjects. I'm not going to kill you because you're not mine to kill. You see my father and he calls him father. Like this is so, this is, this comes from such a heart of humility and, and, and David just wants him to know, listen, I, I love you. Like we're family. I could have killed you. I don't need to kill you. I don't want to kill you. I don't know why you think I want to kill you. I, I, I've, I've never tried to do anything to harm you. I'm not saying that you don't think I did something to harm you. I just, just know my heart. My heart was never to offend you. My heart was never to hurt you. My heart was never to separate from you. I always wanted to be with you. See my father. Why did he call him father? He called him father because it, one, he is his father-in-law. But secondly, there was a heart connection when David first connected with Saul after Goliath. There was a family that that David was brought into that David didn't have with his family. He had a father and a, and a brother, multiple brothers to, to be a part of. This was, this was personal. This was loving. This was kind. David's trying to stir up this love once again. 
See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. There is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but I, but you were, you were hunting me down to take my life. You're trying to kill me. Let God judge between you and me. May God avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil, evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. He's, he's basically presenting his argument saying, listen, we're going to let God judge this. I, if I've done evil, then, then he'll, he'll kill me. Let's, let's not, let's at least call a truce to what's going on. I get it if you want to, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to be friends again. I get it if you don't want me in the throne room again. I get it if you don't want me to run the, the, the military again. But, but can we at least, can you at least take what happened today as evidence that I'm not out to kill you? I don't know why, you know, why you think I am. I don't know why you listen to men who say that I am. I'm not. I could have. I clearly had an opportunity today. I didn't take it because I love you. I don't want to kill you. I just want to be left alone. And then, and then I, again, remember, these are bullet points. I don't think this was a monologue. I think that there was time between these phrases. I think Saul was getting advice from those that were standing uh, around him or riding the, you know, the donkeys or horses around him. I, I think that there was, there was a lot of conversation that went on. Because David was making some good points, and he had the robe, and he, you know, Saul probably checked his robe. He's like, "Oh wow," like, and and Saul's probably offended at the guards who let this happen, and the guards are probably in trouble, and he probably fired them on the spot, took them off their horses, took you know, took away their their weapons, and and left them because of what happened. Like, there's there's a there's a lot of Remember, Saul. Saul's still a tyrant. Saul is still somebody who needs to be in control, and something got out of control. Something got out of his out of his uh, web of 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 control, and he was not happy about it. So David reminds him again. He goes, "Against who is the king come out?" The king of Israel, like like you have so many other things to do. I am I am just a dog. I'm just a flea. Like why 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 are you coming after me like this? That the Lord judge between you and I. May he consider my cause and uphold it. It, it, it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. In other words, let God judge me. Don't don't you be the one who judges me. Let God judge me. Don't let my death be on your hands. There's a lot of of love and humility in the in the way that David presents this, in the way that he words it. It's it's really it's really intense. And when David had finished saying that, he says, "Well, David, is that really you, my son?" And Saul started to cry. He started to cry not because he felt bad, uh, not because he wanted to repent, but because he was embarrassed. His response was self-pity, not humility. He weeps aloud, right? He makes a big show of this. You are more righteous than I. 
you've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. I'm such a bad guy. I'm a, I'm a horrible king. Nobody loves me. You're even more righteous than me. And I have a death warrant out on you. You have just told me now about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered you into my hands and uh, delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. You're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. <sighs> when a man finds his enemy, does he just let him get away unharmed? You don't you, you don't think I'm your enemy. You don't even you don't even kill me when you have a chance. Well, may the Lord reward you for the way you treated me today. He he this is this all the nuances of these of these phrases are self-pity. Uh <laughs> he's He's um he's he's not looking to retaliate, right? But Saul was more sad than than repentant. He's just like, oh, this is this is woe is me. I'm the victim. I'm the victim of your goodness. You've embarrassed me in front of everybody. You've made me look like the bad guy because the enemy when you find your enemy, you kill him, and you didn't kill me, so now I'm the bad guy. You, in front of everybody, you've turned this into a show in which suddenly you're the hero again, and I'm the bad guy. I'm the horrible king. I'm, you're more righteous than I am. Oh, I know someday you're going to be king. And again, this is, not, this is not a declaration of God's plan. This is his, his woe is me, right? My son loves you. My daughter loves you. The nation loves you. Someday you're going to be king. Someday. But swear to me that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name or from my family. Why, why, would, he, why would he say that? There's, in, in the culture of that day, the only reason, I mean, well, the, uh, not the only, sorry. The main reason he would say this is because if, if David promises in front of all of these witnesses not to kill off Saul's descendants and his family's, his father's family, then there's a chance someone from his family will kill David when he's king and Saul's reign will continue. This is another, this is another self-pity, self-preservation, pride, arrogance uh, uh, approach to, by Saul. He's saying, listen, David, Listen, David, you're awesome. Somehow you've made me look bad. You're the hero. You're righteous. You don't sin. You don't kill your enemy even when you see him. But I do. I'm the bad guy. You're the good guy. Fine. Someday you're going to be king. I'm not going to be king because everybody hates me. Everybody loves you. Everybody hates me. Everybody wants to uh, uh, fight for you. No one wants to fight for me. Just please don't kill my family. Don't kill my father, my all my father's descendants when you take over, which is what every other king always does, right? They they wipe out the family line. Why? Because if the family line is there, then somebody from the family may try to retake the the throne. They will cause civil war. They will put together a, mer, a mercenary army and come and 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 take over the capital city. Saul knows this, so he makes David promise in front of everybody. Don't wipe out my family because in Saul's mind, somehow, some way, my my name may continue on. My reign will will 
will take back over after David. Then Saul returned home, and David and his men went up into the stronghold. They didn't go home. I think because Saul sat there, sorry, (laughs) David sat there and listened to Saul, and he thought, this is sad. I love this man. I really wish he wasn't like this, but this is sad. He is so concerned for himself. There's no way he's going to leave us alone. David took the oath. He said, Saul, I won't kill off your family. I won't murder your family. I won't wipe out your father's name. I will leave your family alone. Well, he had already made that promise to Jonathan. So this wasn't a huge a huge jump for him. And maybe that's, you know, maybe in Saul's mind, you know, this, this was a good thing because David kept keeps his word. In Saul's mind, he can now start talking to people in his family about the fact that David made this promise. So listen, if, if David kills me or if I die and David becomes king, I want you, you know, to take this. Saul probably started to put up supplies, weapons, food stores, hiding them around, making them known only to his family. Listen, if David becomes king, this is where this is where I want you to do. Get together some men. Here's, you know, here's a storehouse of money. Get some mercenaries. My name will go on. This was all about self-preservation. And that's what happens when you when you continue to make the choices that lead you out of connection to heaven. Remember, beginning of this chapter, David uh, Saul could have seen the victory over the Philistines and the uh, as an opportunity to reconnect with the with the favor of God and the blessing of God, but he didn't. He took it as his personal his personal uh, abilities. He made this a pride issue. That was his choice. David had a choice. David could have made it his personal his personal choice to move his his path along toward the throne he made a he made a choice not to he made a choice to trust god these are choices we get every day these are everyday choices that show up big occasionally this is one of those big times david chose humility and mercy and kindness saul chose self-preservation self-pity and arrogance and they both went home i hope you guys have a great day today i look forward to continuing the story next time hey everyone thanks for listening if you like what you heard you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use you can also reach out to bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.